Okay. Um, nothing can trouble. <laughs> um, I walked here today, and the homeless people on the way were super, super nice. I was like, I should walk here every Sunday because it just makes me happy, like, talking to these people. They were really nice. It was such an ego boost. They're like, you're so beautiful. And I was like, ah, you're so beautiful. <laughs> Today's reading is John chapter 10, 11 to 18. It can be found on page 989 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screens. This is God's word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay, my life, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The word of the Lord. There we go. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's always funny how many more people are here after the announcements than at the beginning. I always look up and I'm like, oh, sweet, not that many people. Okay, don't got to be that nervous. Oh, wait, there's a lot more now. But it's good. Um, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Guide us, O oh God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Shepherd us to a place where we can feel at ease, where we can receive you with open hearts. Open our eyes to see your love in Christ. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was walking in the garden uh, behind the greenhouse where I work. It's not an actual greenhouse. It's a, a place where teens from the community can come and, and do homework and things like that. And I was walking back there to check on the cherry trees because in the spring, we always get these really amazing cherries and I'm always waiting for them to come. And when I was walking back to work, uh, there was a huge snake on the side of the path and I completely freaked out. Like, there may have been some expletives involved, uh, but my heart was just pounding, all of my muscles were super tense, and I was just ready to go. Because, uh, I mean, I, I know my Bible. If you're walking through the garden and you see a snake, it doesn't, it doesn't end well. Uh, but my body was completely freaking out. Uh, I think you guys might know what this feels like. You get that rush of adrenaline, your heart starts pounding, maybe you start sweating a little bit, and all of your muscles go tense. Uh, this is what Walter Cannon, this famous Harvard scientist from the 1920s and 30s, called our flight or fight reflex. It's what happens when we see something that looks threatening, uh, and our body reacts by either getting ready to fight, to overpower, to dominate this threat to make it to go away, or it gets ready to fly, to take flight, to run away from this threat, 
to get out of there as soon as possible so that we can eliminate this threat. This is how our bodies react when something seems scary. Maybe you've had this when a car swerves in front of you on the freeway. Or maybe if you're walking down a flight of steps and you miss a step, your, your heart automatically like jumps up to your throat and your body gets ready to react to something. But I think this is also how we react when our pride gets threatened or when our comfort seems threatened. Maybe you've seen a uh, Facebook friend post something about their opinions on the last election and you get into fight mode in the comment section. Or you see other people really getting into fight mode on the comments section. Or maybe it's something a little bit deeper than that. I heard somebody describe what it felt like to hide his affairs from his wife. He was so afraid, so filled with shame and guilt that he fled from any close relationships that he had. He was so afraid of losing his marriage, his family, his job. He avoided all of his close relationships and fled from intimacy in order to keep this, this secret hidden. He saw it as such a threat to his life that he ran away from anybody so that nobody would find out what was really going on. He was in constant flight mode because he needed to keep this thing a secret. And uh, in the passage that we just read, this is exactly what the wolves that Jesus is talking about want. Uh, a while back, Jen and I were watching uh, the series Planet Earth on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's really awesome. Really cool cinematography and filming. And if you love animals or anything like that, it's, it's super cool. Uh, but there was this segment in there where there was a pack of wolves that was attacking this herd of caribou. And they didn't just all rush in and attack all at once. What they did was they sent a couple wolves in along the side to try to scare the caribou, to get them all riled up. And eventually, when the caribou started running away and scattering out of fear, the rest of the wolves came in. And they pinpointed which one looked the most vulnerable. And they ended up carving that one out and away from the rest of the herd, where they could chase it down. And eventually, this caribou ran as much as it could, but eventually it reached its limit, and the wolves overpowered it. Uh, when we isolate ourselves, out of our fight or flight reflex, we end up so much more vulnerable when we're on our own, when we run away from relationships, when we hide things, when we isolate ourselves in order to keep things secret, we end up alone, we end up vulnerable, and we end up completely uh, on our own. When we see problems as things that we must either fight or overpower or control in order to make those problems go away, or when we see problems as things that we need to run away from, things that we need to run in fear and, and hide and isolate, we get exhausted. Because all of this fighting, all of this flying, this running away, has its limits. And eventually we reach them. And this is not a great place to be. Jesus sees his people in this fight or flight mode. He's seen his people running. He's seen his people fighting. And his heart goes out to them. Because this is where God's heart is. It's with the vulnerable. It's with the weak. It's with the people who can't defend themselves. And when he sees his people like this, Jesus goes on to call out the hired hands, 
the people that were supposed to protect the people of Israel, the people that were supposed to have the interests of the vulnerable and the weak and the widow and the orphan in mind, ended up running away at the first sign of trouble. Now, when Jesus is using this language of shepherds and sheep and hired hands, he's hitting on a powerful theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. This is a theme that God uh, brought up again and again to refer to his relationship with his people. And in the scene that we read, uh, Jesus is at the temple. He had just healed a man who was born blind, and uh, he had done it on the Sabbath. So all the religious leaders and the Pharisees who were at the temple... They had their beef with Jesus, because you're not supposed to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. So they came up to him, and they were asking, who do you think you are to be healing this man on the Sabbath? And these guys, these religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're the people that know their Bible inside and out. They have large chunks of it memorized. These are the people that know their scripture like nobody else in the country. So when Jesus says things like, I am the good shepherd, or uh, the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep, they know that he's referencing Passages like the one from Jeremiah 23, uh, which says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. Nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Jesus calls out the religious leaders, the people that were supposed to care about the vulnerable, but ended up using them and exploiting them for their own profit. Like Jesus said, the hired hands didn't care about the wolves, so when they saw the wolf, or they didn't care about the sheep. So when they saw the wolves coming, they ran away. This reminds me of the, uh, the lawyer in the movie Jurassic Park. It's one of the most famous scenes in like, all of movie history. The camera zooms in on the, those water glasses there in the Jurassic Jeep. And you see the ripples coming out while the Tyrannosaurus Rex, like, boom, boom, like starts coming closer. And the lawyer's in the Jeep with the kids. And eventually this, uh, this goat leg or something lands on the sheep, and they all freak out. And the lawyer books it out of there, trying to save his own skin. And he runs into the bathroom and hides in there. And the kids are looking at each other like, he left us. He left us. And they're freaking out. Uh, that's what the, <laughs> the religious leaders were doing when they saw trouble approaching. But if you've seen the movie, you know that there's this great scene of, of cinematic karma where the T-Rex knocks over the, the bathroom stall and eats the lawyer in just a couple bites. It's, it's a great one. Uh, but that's, a, that's what the people of Israel were putting up with for centuries. Leaders who left them, 
Leaders who ran away at the first sign of trouble, trying to save their own skin. The people that had power and influence didn't use it to protect the vulnerable. They used it to take advantage of them. And I know that there are people in this room who know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that kind of relationship, where somebody who has power or authority or status, who's supposed to be having your best interests at heart, doesn't do that and ends up hurting and, and causing pain. We see this in, uh, in, in homes where parents abuse their children instead of loving them, or parents who neglect their children instead of taking care of them. We've seen national scandals of priests who are supposed to care for their people end up abusing children and leaving them scarred. I know what it feels like to have a pastor who's more manipulative than caring, who will hurt people more than helping them. And obviously, it's not Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark's awesome. <laughs> but I think, I think there's a lot of people in this room who know what it's like to be hurt by a religious leader or a pastor or somebody who is supposed to take care of them. And this is the whole, whole weight of the hashtag MeToo movement. It's all about people who have power and privilege and status taking advantage of the people they're supposed to be helping. It's heartbreaking how often we see this happen in the world around us to friends that we know. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe it's happened to a sibling or a family member. But then there's Jesus. And I think that's the whole gospel right there. Is that we see all this trouble and all this pain, but then there's Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his flock. He knows every individual ba of the sheep that he's watching over. And his sheep know him. Like a newborn baby already recognizes the voice of its mother, we recognize Jesus. Jesus knows each of us, inside and out. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he loves us just the same. In fact, he loves us enough that he gives his own life for us. He protects us. He cares for us like nobody else would. There's another Old Testament writing that spoke about the good shepherd like this, from Ezekiel 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Out of sheer love for his people, God himself has come to be our shepherd. And this isn't some kind of warm, fuzzy, lovey-dovey, good-feeling kind of love. This is the realest, deepest, truest kind of love that there is. This is a love so full of passion that God doesn't just want to give good things to you or, or make you feel happy. He, he wants to take away the pain that you feel. He takes it away and he puts it on himself. That's the extent of his passion for each of us. In fact, the word passion means suffering. Jesus sees our suffering and he's not content to leave us like that. He comes and joins us in our pain 
and takes it upon himself. Julian of Norwich wrote about Christ's passion in this way. Of all pains that lead to liberation, the worst is to see your loved one suffer. How could any pain be more excruciating than to see the one who is all my life, all my happiness, and all my joy suffer? The greater, the more able, and the sweeter the love is, the more grief it is to the lover to see the body of the loved one in pain. Jesus couldn't stand to see his people in pain. He couldn't stand to see his sheep suffer any more at the hands of wolves or the worthless hired hands who were supposed to be looking over them. So he took that pain upon himself. Instead of leaving us hopeless and alone to face each problem out of a fight or fight, fight or flight reflex, Christ gave his life in our place at the cross, and he took our suffering upon himself. As the old hymn asks, what wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? This is the love of a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Now, to be clear, Jesus' death on the cross was not the instantaneous end of all death and suffering. As we've just seen, we still see that pain in our world today. So the cross was not the end there, but it was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of God's healing plan for all of creation. The cross marked the beginning of the time that we call the already, but not yet. God's love has already broken into the world. The healing has already started, but we are not yet complete. We, are not, we have not yet reached our destination. We are already with the shepherd, whose gentleness and protection is with us now, but we are not yet to the pasture where he's leading us. There are still wolves. There is still real pain that people are experiencing, but we don't have to experience that pain alone anymore. God, the good shepherd, is with us in that pain. He knows what it feels like, and he walks with us through it. His love is undoing the hurt and the pain that we know all too well. This is the true and perfect love, which heals the broken, which feeds the hungry, which clothes the naked, which gives life in the middle of death. This is the true and perfect love that God has for you. This is the true and perfect love which unites people. Like Jesus said, there will be one flock and one shepherd. He started talking about other sheep who were not of this fold. So who are these people? So when Jesus is talking in the temple with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, these are the people that believe that the people of Israel are the only people of God, that God has called the Jewish people to be his one and only people, and that's true. But what Jesus came to, to tell all of us was that he came to open that door for all people. So that all nations, all languages, all tribes, every country, every race could have a relationship with God. Jesus came to open that door. He came to bring in the sheep that had been kept on the outside and to bring them into his fold. He came to bring in the people who had been excluded, the people that were even more vulnerable, and to gather them together so that there would be one flock under Jesus, our one shepherd. But 
if we take an honest look at uh, where we are today as a church, I think we have to admit that we still look a little bit scattered. There are major divisions within the flock, within the body of Christ. We see divisions between Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, Black, White, Hispanic, Asian, Calvin, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, you name it, there's been a church division over it. And I think a lot of this division stems from a fight or flight mentality. We find ourselves fighting tooth and nail with people over doctrine and dividing ourselves within the flock. We find ourselves running away because of cultural differences and dividing the flock even more. But these things that we fight about, these things that we run away from, are not the essence of who we are as a church. The church is not one flock, one church, one body of Christ because we share one set of beliefs. We are not united by a theology. We are united by a theos, by a God. A God who loves us so much that he came down to be one of us and to die for us. We no longer need to worry like sheep who are in fight or flight mode. We don't have to protect ourselves for fear that, that we might be exposed. We no longer have to run away from everything that, that scares us and frightens us. Like the song we sang this morning, uh, nothing can trouble, nothing can frighten. Because in Jesus, we have a good shepherd who protects us. We no longer need to protect and take care of ourselves because God is doing that for us. And he's done it to the extent where he lays down his life for us. So in Jesus, we can let these things go that we try to control, that we try to fight and dominate. We can let go of the things that we are running away from and trying to hide. Because in Jesus, we have rest. We can rest as a flock who is in a safe pasture. Like St. Augustine said, in a prayer to God that you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. In Jesus, we find our common place of rest. In the love of God, we find unity under our one shepherd, our one leader, who's leading us to a good place. To quote Leslie Newbegin, uh, let's see, the church is the pilgrim people of God, it is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God, and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord, who will gather all into one. So no matter how scattered we are right now, where we are is not as definitive as where we are going. That is what makes us followers of Christ. That's what makes us one flock under one shepherd with one destination in mind. And that destination is the kingdom of God. That destination is a good pasture where peace and justice reign, where there is healing for the broken, where there is protection for those who are afraid and vulnerable. This is a place where there is hope and joy in every single day. This is a place where we can let go of our fight or flight reflexes and rest in the presence of our good shepherd who gave everything to make us safe, who gave everything to make us his, and who is still uniting us and leading us each and every day. And to close, I'd like to read from the psalm that we read at the beginning of this service. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me along the right paths. Or he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our good shepherd, you have given your life for us out of a love that we struggle to understand. Help us to let go of our worries and fears and to seek rest in your presence. Be near us in the pain we still feel and remind us of the hope that we have in you. Remind us of the place that you are leading us. May we see your kingdom come soon, Lord. Amen.